You're listening to Out of the Box, a place for marketers to get inspired, get going, and break out of the box. Welcome to Out of the Box. I'm Dan Feldstein, Director of Marketing at IronSource. This week, we're speaking to brand builder and marketing executive Matt Luber. Matt, great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So most recently, you built out the marketing organization at StockX, but you started your career on the agency side. It would be great to share with our audience a little bit about your marketing journey. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a great place to start. Um, So for me, um, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, so kind of like in the, I'll just say the heyday of like TV ads and, and print ads. And I always really just was I, I I just enjoyed good good commercials I guess growing up and then when I went to school um I I majored in economics and I t- and I minored in marketing um and just found that the the marriage of data and the art of marketing always spoke to me and so that kind of drew me into um, digital marketing when I graduated undergrad in, in 2004. Um, and at the time it was really focused on search engine marketing and pay-per-click and some technologies that don't exist anymore. And, and this was even before Facebook had ads. So I, I've always had, um, you know, a root in, in digital marketing and, and data driven, um, ways of, of doing business. And that first real job, um, came to an end in 2009 uh, with with the recession that happened then, and, and I went back to school and got my MBA to try to get a, a a bit of a bigger picture in terms of everything there was to know about marketing beyond just just digital. Um, but again, after graduating from MBA, I found myself drawn back to the agency world on a slightly larger scale, but still data driven. And, and that marriage, again, of, of, of numbers and creativity. Yeah, and, and StockX kind of came about more organically um, from, a, from a place of passion of, of sneakers and just the opportunity to um, have that be my, my full-time job. Amazing. And uh, I have a similar background to you, similar passion for sneakers for you, so I know what StockX is. But for people listening who may not know, can you just give a high-level description of it, of the, of the business? Sure. Um, so I always start with that StockX is a um, consumer stock market of goods. Um, unlike any other e-commerce site where a customer goes to Amazon or Best Buy or whatever, and you only have the option to buy, StockX, you have the option to sell. Um, so it's it's truly a, a two-sided marketplace where buyers and sellers have a equal say in, in the transaction that happens. For the uninitiated, a lot of people just compare StockX to eBay because sneakers is, is the biggest thing that StockX sells and most people associate that with eBay. But again, the, the really big differentiator between StockX and eBay at, at its most basic level is that StockX is essentially the middleman between every transaction. So when a buyer and a seller have agreed on a price on, on the platform, the seller actually ships their item to StockX first. 
and this goes for, for anything sold on the site, sneakers, streetwear, collectibles, watches, handbags, whatever, it goes to StockX first. StockX has a team of authenticators across every vertical to verify the item to make sure it's first and foremost, the authentic good. Um, there's a lot of counterfeits to that, that are out there uh, across everything that StockX sells. Um, it's the right size. It has the right accessories. It's in the right condition. Um, and then once it passes the inspection process, StockX will box it up clean and, and ship it out to the buyer. StockX is keeping buyers and sellers kind of safe from each other. So you're not stuck, you know, filing a PayPal complaint or trying to chase someone down on eBay because you got burned on a fake pair of, of Yeezys or, or a fake Rolex or something like that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's a good uh, elevator pitch on what StockX does. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. You talk about how you define that, or, you know, kind of define that positioning. You were the first marketer hired at StockX. I'd love to go back in time a little bit and say, what did that mean when you started there? And how did you look at growth versus brand building at that time? Being the first marketing hire was, was almost like by accident. Um, so in, you know, to be a bit more transparent with my background in StockX, I was actually working with the founders of StockX on what was the the predecessor to StockX. So for those that know, it was called Campless. Um, so so Campless became StockX and, and we kind of brought along that brand with it, so to speak. And the idea of, of the brand of StockX was always rooted in um, that feeling of, of um of the, of the stock market and of being transparent with our data, but also um, the, the authentication was, was the big thing that, that we um, established up front. So not only were you trusting the data, but you're also trusting that um, you were always going to get the authentic good and, and StockX kind of had your back no, no matter what. And, and that's kind of what, what we grew from initially. Um, and that obviously changed over time, um, but that's kind of where we started. Got it. And, and at that point, uh, you know, it's always interesting in talking to businesses that, that were started in the digital world and are digital native applications or, or platforms or marketplaces, like how much of um, a discipline and, and practice and science was there at the start around, okay, we're going to monitor how many new users we get every day how, where they're coming from, where, um, you know, how many new sellers we're getting, like, was that all part of the culture from the very start or did that evolve over time? Um, it kind of all happened at once. And then as we grew, we kind of started to specialize. So, so to kind of get back to your last question a little bit on being the first marketing person, it involved just doing everything. Right. And anyone that's ever been in a startup, a super early stage startup, um, understands that, like, yeah, my title was director of marketing or, or whatever it was, but like my title could have been janitor because I did everything. Um, and, and you just kind of keep going and keep doing. And eventually you say, man, like, I really need help. I need a specialist to help me with performance marketing, for example, or, or content creation or, um, 
or social or, or whatever, whatever aspect of marketing um, needed the most help at, at that moment. And performance marketing was one of those things that we quickly identified as we need, we need to get a, a talented person in here to do this full time. Me, Matt Luber, I can't do that and all the other stuff I'm being tasked with. So um, I think early on, we kind of identified that in terms of like looking at the metrics and buyers and sellers, that was something that probably happened later on as we launched and started to really track the track the user data in terms of what people were doing and, and how they were using the site. You know, that, that makes sense. I, you know, I'm always curious how, and your background was on, as you said, was on the performance side. So it wasn't like completely alien to you. Um, but when you're really focused on, on building a brand and I'd say, you know, we'll probably talk about it later, but people who aren't familiar with the brand should go on Google and look to see some of the, some of the things you've done in the past five years, some of the activations and experiences. But when you're uh, in charge of all that creativity, how do you build a bridge and translate that to kind of the growth world, which is very obviously very heavy, like clicks and numbers and percentages? Yeah. So, so, um, set the stage a little bit, you know, I, I gave away the performance marketing side of things, um, probably within the first year of, of being a stock X, maybe even sooner, but, but I always sat right next to those guys and was always kind of holding hands with them in terms of what they were doing and, and how they were speaking to the consumer because those guys, well, it was one guy at first and became two and later three, but those guys that were doing performance marketing were, were great at that, but they were not sneaker people. And, and that's kind of where I evolved a little bit over time at StockX was I kind of became the category lead, so to speak, where it, it was never an official title, but I was always the kind of the, the default person to ask, like, what's the latest release? What's going on with Kanye? Like, you know, what should we be talking about? So that when we were putting out their performance marketing ads, they were authentic to the users and authentic to the people that were seeing them and not just some random sneaker, you know, in the ad because it was um, what what Google, you know, what Google Images said a, a, a Nike should be. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, in addition to, to the ads side of performance, mm-hmm. um, I think one of the things that's interesting is how did how did brand and marketing influence maybe the user experience or how you know did it have it did you have an impact on how like the app was designed or the seller experience? Um, what was that interaction like? Um, are you saying specifically between like the brand marketing and the performance marketing side of things, or or more just kind of general? How did the how did the user experience evolve? Yeah, I'd say I'd say brand marketing and user experience, or or um, digital experience in general. Like, how did marketing and and that product work together? I think from from an early standpoint, we were very very careful with the user experience in terms of just 
the layout of things, the flow for, for buyers and sellers and, and the communication that, that those folks were getting um, all, all along the way. Again, to go back to something I said earlier, like the, the brand was, was kind of always there in terms of like what we were, the, the name we were trying to make for ourselves and differentiate ourselves from any other competitors in the marketplace at the time. So that, that was always kind of front and center in terms of being, um, again, transparent with the data, being 100% authentic and, and giving buyers and sellers a equal say in, 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 what, in what was going on on, on the marketplace. Um, the user experience itself hasn't changed a lot since since the early days but we did do a number of rounds of like of user surveys and and interviews to kind of fine tune um some of the aspects of the of the user flow or the or the the buy the buy and sell dashboards that that are available on the app and on the web um so that's that's kind of how that evolved a little bit and speaking of evolving uh one of the bigger trends we saw in, I think, in digital retail and direct-to-consumer uh, over the last few years is is companies that went from online only to omni-channel or, or online with offline points of sale. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and StockX did a few of those, um, you know, full disclosure, I sold or dropped off some sneakers at, at the spot in New York a few years ago. I right. guess how involved were was was brand marketing when you have this digital asset and translating that into a like IRL experience. Yeah. So um, first, thank you for utilizing the drop off in New York. Um, so for those that that haven't experienced the StockX store, it evolved from a place of kind of serving the customers, specifically sellers, in a way that made the most sense for them, specifically in in New York City. And and we've done the and I think it's still there in in London as far as like a full time location. And we've done a couple of like pop up locations for for seller drop off in different cities around different activations. Especially in New York City with with that audience there, the idea was more around making it convenient, letting letting sellers just come in and drop off their item as opposed to having to go get a get a shipping box, get it taped up, take it to the local UPS store, um, or, or or get a UPS pickup. And then the other part of it is that there's a high density of customers in in New York City for StockX. I mean, it's one of the sneaker meccas of the world, and to serve that customer better. Um, is only, you know, um, it, it, it only ends up benefiting everyone. Um, so in terms of the actual experience, um, at first it was really simple. It was just, it was just a desk with, an, you know, someone there like at the cash register. There's no cash register, but that, that's what people understand. And um, accepting the item, um, scanning it in and saying, thank you very much. We'll, we'll authenticate it and, and send you on your way. But over time, um, we, we wanted to add more there because people were standing in line. So then it became, um, a bit of a product showcase where we would have exclusive sneakers on display or sometimes fake sneakers on display that, that people could look at and kind of admire how good fakes are getting. Um, so, so bringing some of those elements that, that we 
publish about on social or on the website and, and bringing that um, into the store was, was important. And certainly, you know, a, a no brainer is, is the, the look and feel and, and design of this space carries through from the app and, and from the web experience. Um, I mean, even, you know, the fonts on the signage are the same fonts um, that you'll see on the website. Right. Um, it was a, it was a really great translation as a consumer. And I think, um, you know, just curious, are you, when you go about bringing something digital into real life, are you concerned about how many of the digital metrics we can drive from this IRL piece, or is it more like we just want to create the best uh, experience with its own KPIs and we're not going to try to boil the ocean with marrying everything? Um, both. I mean, that, you know, as, as a business, there's obviously some sort of bottom line to that New York drop-off location in terms of now, now there's um, extra expenses of, of having a store, right. Uh, of, of having that, that extra rent. But early on, it was more of like, we need to be there on the ground to serve this customer and we'll figure everything else out later. Um, so that was kind of how we got into it over time that or not over time, but very quickly that evolved into, okay, how are we going to track the success of the store? Um, we started, you know, tracking um, foot traffic through, through the store, um, tracking the number of drop-offs per day, drop-offs per customer, um, and then, and then the usual like, um, operations metrics in terms of like how many boxes were in and out of, of the store on a, on a daily basis. And to be fair, I had nothing to do with this, right? This is all like another team that was, this was their day-to-day job and this is all they did. Um, I was there more of like moral support and, and making sure that they had what they needed. And like, if there was a QR code, the QR code had the right tracking on it and I could pull metrics and Google analytics for it. But, but for the most part, there is a retail team that is there in place and, and doing a fantastic job um, running that store. Amazing. Um, so kind of looking back at, at that and some of these other experiences you've described, I'd love to pick your brain on, you know, from StockX and your experience before that, like, what are some of your biggest lessons learned about how to approach marketing or work within a, a startup that you think uh, you would love to pass on to the next generation of marketers? Um, yeah, I mean, it's all kind of cliche stuff, but, but it, but it applies. I mean, it's, you know, the, the concept that if you have an idea, if, if you think you have an interesting idea, like, you need to go and try to execute it in some way, like build, build an MVP or, or, or build an alpha of, of the, of an app or of a website and see, see how people react to it and start to get the word out. If you want to be, you know, a blogger or an influencer, like go and do it and try it and see, and see what it's like. Um, I was really lucky in, in my experience in StockX and kind of, I, I kind of, got brought along from campus and and was given an opportunity to join StockX at a really, really early stage, which I probably looking back on it, wouldn't have, um, I probably wouldn't have chosen that, that type of path um, 
organically, I, I guess, or, or if it was presented to me outside of StockX. Um, and then, and then the other idea of, um, of, uh, trusting or, or, or rather, um, agreeing to like the best idea in the room, kind of regardless of, of who came up with it. Um, and, and, and quickly admitting that maybe your idea wasn't, wasn't the best. Um, again, early stage startup, there was only maybe a dozen of us and we kind of did everything. And so everyone was involved in every decision early on. And even down to like picking the name StockX, that, that took us weeks to, to come up with that name. But I mean, ultimately, I think it was like one of the engineers came up with it or like some other random person who wasn't in marketing. But guess what? Like it was the best name and, and we went with it. Um, and then the other cliche thing is, is like failing fast um, is, you know, admitting, admitting defeat quickly, learning from those mistakes and, and just moving forward and not get, letting your ego get too bruised by it. And just, you know, you'll live another day. Um, certainly. I think I've shared some of that experience. I think, um, you know, tremendous growth in the time you were at StockX. Uh, but at the same time, 2015 until now, it feels like it's been way more than five years. And so especially working in marketing and digital. Mm-hmm. Are there any changes that or things you look at today that you're like, wow, um, this is so different than five years ago or three years ago? Um. I mean, ignoring the macroeconomic and political climate we're in right now, right? That's the biggest change between when StockX started and, and you and I speaking today. Um, so there's that. Um, okay. But more tactically, um, some of the platforms that exist today didn't exist five years ago, like TikTok didn't exist. I'm, you know, this side of 35, almost 40 and like, I still don't understand how TikTok works or, you know, I, I probably should get on it. Um, so there's always going to be a new platform or a new trend or a new thing that, that people need to, to um, kind of adjust to. But, um, and then the, and then the other thing that's kind of evolved, you know, in a weird way is, is influencer marketing. I know it's like a, another buzzword that makes people cringe, but it works. And, and if it didn't work, it wouldn't exist. Um, and, and StockX kind of evolved with that over time in terms of how we engaged with influencers, either on a always on basis or for events or for promotions and, and campaigns. Um, but look, it's, it's a, it's, it's a reality of marketing and, and it's something that people need to either, um, I mean, it's not a choice, but it, people would do well to embrace it and learn it and figure out a, a good way to incorporate it into, into their mix. Um, I I get it. I feel the same struggles sometimes. And, uh, you know, building on that, when you have something like a TikTok, like what is your approach as a marketer to stay current, to look for inspiration and how do you, how do you edu- stay educated and and aware of the both the new trends like new apps but also new bigger trends in the marketplace um 
you know, th- this is something that has always been a struggle for me is, is finding that the time to educate myself and, and stay current. Um, I actually have a nine month old baby boy uh, in the house too. So that means I have even less time. Uh, but um, I try to, you know, read my, my four A's um, daily email that comes out. Um, I'm on ad age. I'm, I'm on all the usual kind of marketing and advertising sites and kind of seeing what other folks are publishing in terms of new campaigns or, or new directions and or where, where accounts are going in terms of, um, agencies signing, signing big accounts. Um, like the whole thing with Joe Rogan going to Spotify and then Omnicom drop dropping like a huge contract on them the other day, um, was, was an interesting kind of, you know, headline to see, see come across. Um, my, my kind of go-to in terms of like daily news stream is like, I pretty much have Twitter up on, on my, my desktop, like at all times. And I'm kind of just watching the feed go by in terms of the people that I follow. Um, and then lately, like in terms of just keeping tabs in the business world is, is LinkedIn. Like I know a lot of people think LinkedIn is just for finding new jobs, but um, I would recommend people look into that too. Start to follow, follow the companies you like or, or that you're, you're customers of. Follow the Gary Vaynerchuks of the world and, and see what's going on and, and what those people are talking about. Because that's really where the business conversation is happening. It's really turned into, um, you know, almost like business Twitter is, is what LinkedIn has turned into recently. That is, that's a great way to put it. Uh, and I agree. I think we're certainly active um, on our team individually and, and as an organization on, on LinkedIn and a lot is happening there mm-hmm. for sure um, and that kind of uh segues into into like one of the wrap-up questions which is so staying current kind of staying up on on platforms and trends you know what other skills do you think marketers need to succeed today especially if they're building a new brand um and also along with that like how much of a balance between like brand and, and growth skills, do you think, uh, you know, today's young marketers need to develop? I'll, I'll use my background as an answer to that. Like I have for better or for worse, like stayed dangerous in, 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 in the brand side and the growth side of marketing. Like I mentioned earlier, like I gave away the performance side of, of StockX's marketing early on because I realized that I wasn't as good at, at it as, as I needed to be. But I can still get into the Facebook ads platform and build ads or, or Instagram or whatever or, or, or Google search and, and get it done. So that has helped me tremendously over time because I'm not... Mm, I'll just say I'm not I'm not pigeonholing myself into one particular skill set. I can kind of talk the talk with very technical marketers, but I can also be in the room with CMOs and CEOs and understand like the bigger picture. So, but that's come with time. I mean, it's it's not something that you say, okay, I want to be a well-rounded marketer on day one, right? It's it's you kind of 
over the over the course of my career, some some opportunities that presented itself in terms of where I was focusing my time and the type of agencies I joined. But I think it's kind of brought me to a place where I consider myself being able to be comfortable in in, in either type of um, uh, conversation or, or discussion. No, I, I completely agree there. Um, and, you know, we always wrap it up with the uh, title question, which is, what would you say the most out-of-the-box marketing you've ever done is? This is an interesting question because the most out-of-the-box marketing that we've ever done at StockX is actually about a box. So the... Um, now I'm blanking on the year. So the 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 Cleveland the the Cleveland Cavaliers um, won the I'm like googling it as I'm saying it. So they won the NBA championship in in the 2015 2016 season. And um, for those that don't know, um, Dan Gilbert, who is the one of the majority owners of the Cavs, he's also one of the co-founders of StockX. So there's a friendly relationship there between the two organizations. So when the Cavs won their first world championship, Dan immediately um, made it known that he was going to um, rip up the hardwood floor of the arena and, and use that for memorabilia. So, so StockX, you know, we, we kind of sat next to those guys on, on the same floor and we said, well, why don't we take the hardwood from that floor and make it into sneaker boxes? And so, so we did. And, um, but what we did with it was, was kind of the more interesting thing in, in terms of, of sneaker releases. So we worked with, with Nike um, with, I believe the permission from LeBron to um, release on StockX um a limited run of his um, first signature sneaker. So Nike was retroing his, his LeBron ones. And we were the first place um, where the sneaker was being sold anywhere in the world. You can look it up on Google. There was some, some press coverage on ESPN and the New York times. Um, but essentially the, the, um, the way we sold the sneakers was in a product IPO um, format. Um, it's a little bit convoluted. Uh, and, and again, best that people kind of look it up online later. Suffice to say, it, it was an important thing where StockX was again, the, the, the first place where the sneakers were being sold. And, um, we were doing it, um, in a really interesting way with an amazing, uh, wooden box made out of the, the Cavs uh, championship floor. Yeah, I was going to say, I think uh, LeBron, wood boxes, IPO on a platform all sound like a recipe for a pretty amazing experience. And uh, yeah, I think that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you very much for having me. This was awesome. I appreciate it.